turn in our Bibles now to Acts 10. We'll be reading the entire chapter. We need the, we need the full picture in order to help us understand what uh, Peter's vision is all about. And Peter's vision will be our focus today as we, uh, as we walk together through uh, the Word of God. Let's hear the word of the Lord according to Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send man, men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted, it up, lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask, then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, 
I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. So far the reading of God's word. We'll be focusing on, again, on the, uh, the vision of Peter as is found in verses 9 through 16. Beloved in the Lord, we ask again this afternoon, what changed in Jesus Christ? We saw how Christ began the reversal of death this morning. And this afternoon we will see how through the cleansing that he accomplished on the cross, he formed a new body of the redeemed. In the cross he took upon himself the curse that was upon the earth, and so he made all things clean. Jesus tells us the ultimate point of the laws of uncleanness in Mark 7. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And Mark in his gospel adds this editorial note. Thus he declared all things clean. Jesus declares all things clean so that he may create a new people. His church. And that means that Gentiles were now welcome among the people of God. God says as much in Ephesians 2. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And the law expressed in ordinances here is primarily talking about the ceremonial law. Now, the new church in Acts was not quick to comprehend the full significance of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why Peter is so surprised at his dream and has a hard time understanding it. But the point of the dream is clear. Do not defile what God has made clean. And that's our theme for today, too. Do not defile what God has made clean. First, we'll see the vision. And second, Peter's response. Now, when we think about this vision, we need to understand that in the Old Testament, there were always two groups of believers. First, there were those who bore the marks of circumcision, the Jewish people. Being a Jew was a special privilege because as a Jew, you had the promises. You were able to come into the temple of God. You had a a closeness to God that the uncircumcised person could not have. However, we need to understand that there is a second group of believers all through the Old Testament as well. These are sometimes referred to as God-fearers. It's a phrase you sometimes see in the Psalms. They saw the goodness of the God that the Israelites served in the blessings he gave his people, even when he visited his people with judgment. Men like Hiram of Tyre, the Pharaoh at the time of Joseph and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, are representatives of these God-fearers. Another example would be Naaman the Assyrian. Notice that when he is cleaned, Elisha does not ask him to be circumcised. It's very important. There's this second group that looks to Israel, looks to the hope of Israel, desires the God of Israel that has not been fully brought into Israel yet. In the New Testament, it's the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius that are examples of these Gentile God-fearers. When Paul speaks of Gentiles in general... Most of the time, when he talks about Gentiles, he is talking about these Gentile God-fearers. Although it also applies more generally to all Gentiles, who, as he says in Acts 17, all men are called to repent now that Christ has come. These Gentiles believed, and yet they were separated from the worship of God because they did not commit to all the Judaic regulations. Neither were they expected to. That's why somebody like Cornelius is not a Jew, but is very respected by the Jews in his area. 
there was a line between these two groups of believers, the line of circumcision and the practice of the ceremonial aspects of the law. The one group worshipped from afar, the other group was able to come close through the regular sacrifices at the temple. In our passage, God wants to prepare Peter for the coming of Cornelius. He wants to teach Peter, that he should willingly include Gentiles now into the body of Christ. Whereas formerly, formerly there had always been a division between Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, God was bringing them together into one holy priesthood, one body. Verses 9 and 10 introduce us to what is going on. Just as Cornelius has received a vision while he is in prayer, so will Peter. Peter receives the vision while the men from Cornelius are on the way. God is preparing his heart for these visitors. Peter grows hungry and seeks to find something to eat. And in preparing his food, he falls into a trance. God has different food in mind for Peter. Peter sees the heavens open. Something like a great sheet descends, let down by its four corners upon the earth. The reference to the four corners alludes to the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah promises that he will draw the remnant of Israel from the four corners of the earth. But the images that appear on the sheet are not merely a picture of the remnant. We have an image of the church. All those who are of the Spirit and of heaven all gathered together. But Peter doesn't know this yet. He doesn't understand it as he looks what stands upon the sheet. On the sheet are all types of animals, four-footed birds and lizards, the clean and the unclean, all mixed together. A voice comes from heaven, rise, kill, and eat. When we eat, we take that thing we eat and make it part of ourselves. Sometimes in the Bible, you'll have the image of an empire devouring nations. And, and that devouring is not meant to be literal. Rather, the empire is taking nations and making them part of itself. God is signaling to Peter that he plans to take the Gentiles into himself. Peter, as God's ambassador, may freely baptize Gentiles into the church of Christ. When Peter eats the animals on the sheet, he symbolizes taking the Gentiles in, into God's church. There will no longer be any dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. He is not only to accept Gentiles, but to seek them out, to slay them with the sword of the Spirit from the four corners of the earth. How does the fact that all things are now clean connect to the inclusion of Gentiles into the people of God. What does eating an unclean and defiled animals have to do with Gentiles? Again, we need to go back to Leviticus, just like we did this morning. In some sense, this is the whole point of the distinction between clean and unclean animals. Clean animals, especially clean domestic animals, such as sheep and oxen, could be used as acceptable sacrifices before God. They were meant to be pictures of the Israelites. Like Israel, they were marked with certain symbolic markers that protected them from the effects of death. 
Animals with hooves were protected from the curse that was on the ground. Fish with scales were protected from the influences of the water around them. Animals without these protections could not be consumed because they were more easily affected by the world around them. They were not to be touched, nor were their carcasses to be touched. This was all meant to be a picture of the holiness of God's people. They were separate. Acts 10 reveals something of the fuller picture of what God is doing in declaring certain things to be clean and certain things to be unclean, particularly in the animals that God declared to be clean and unclean. These were meant to be pictures of of the division between Jews and Gentiles. The various types of unclean animals pictured different types of Gentiles. Lions and bears pictured rulers. Dogs and pigs pictured those Gentiles that were particularly wicked. The Jews were not to eat these animals because to do so would picture making Gentiles part of the holy priesthood of God. The Jews could only make Gentiles part of their holy priesthood if they were willing to become Jews. But because Christ has taken the curse, because Christ was a propitiation for the sins of the world, the distinction between clean animals and unclean animals is abolished. And so is the distinction between those who had the protection of the law and those who did not have it. All those who believe, all those who believe, may now be one in Christ. Christ took the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became sin for us. Jesus took that curse so that the Gentiles would receive blessing through the promise. The curse of the law was on Jesus. That meant the Jews did not need to worry about the clean and the unclean anymore. They now had one sacrifice and one washing that took care of everything. The Jews didn't have to be Jews anymore. But the Gentiles didn't need to be Jews anymore either. The only thing that continued to make one unclean was what proceeds from the inside. From the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. All the ceremonial laws which had protected the Jews from spiritual death and it had allowed them to enjoy a life of fellowship and the love of God, had now been abolished in the cross of Christ. Christ's body now gave the protection of holiness before God. Christ's body was the place where Gentile believers and Jewish believers could join one another in peace. The mystery How the Gentiles were to be blessed through Abraham was now answered. Before this time, the Gentile God-fearers had always had a questionable status. The Gentiles did not have to become Jews. Rather, both Gentiles and Jews could join in the one body of Christ and look with joy to their shared Father in heaven. 
Jews formerly had to be circumcised, and then they were allowed to come near through the blood of a shed animal, the blood that never actually took care of sin. Now both are allowed to come near before God through the blood of Christ. And Gentiles, for the first time, are allowed to come near through the blood of Christ. Now, if God had made all believers holy before him, what did that mean for Peter? What does that mean for us? And that brings us to the response. Peter's response betrays his confusion of what Christ is doing. Not only is confusion about what Christ is doing, but it's the tradition of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the traditions that they have added to the scripture that further complicate his response. So God in, in this vision is doing two things. He's attempting to teach Peter about the abolition of the ceremonies of the law, but God is also trying to overcome the pharisaical prejudices about Gentiles that are still in Peter. Now, Christ has overcome some of those during his time on earth, but it will take a while before the early church successfully weeds out all those prejudices about Gentiles. Peter's pharisaical prejudices come out in his response to God's words. He says, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And it's probably better to read this as, I've never eaten anything defiled or unclean. God had never said it in his law, but the teachers of the law taught that if you were to eat a clean animal that might have come into contact with an unclean animal, it was defiled and passed on its uncleanness to you. The sheet that was before Peter had both clean and unclean animals upon it. Peter would not eat the unclean animals, neither would he eat the clean, because the unclean had defiled the clean. And the Pharisees' understanding of the animals doubled in their understanding of Gentiles. They believed that eating with Gentiles made you unclean. They understood this symbolism of unclean animals but they did not understand the full significance of it. They did not understand that the dividing wall that God had set up between clean and unclean animals, but also between Jews and Gentiles, must be overcome. And it must be overcome because God had made a promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to the Gentiles they had understood that, they would not have twisted God's law in this way. Instead of focusing, like Jesus charges them in the Gospels, instead of focusing on the center of the law, matters of mercy and justice, they sought to add burdens on the peripheries of the law, the, the side, the, the little things of the law. Instead of desiring the salvation of the nations... The purpose of the nation of Israel, they focused on the laws of the clean and the unclean. And they used that to add burdens. And their priorities were out of whack. And that is what gave them bad theology. All through the Old Testament, 
Israel had enjoyed fellowship with Gentiles. Strangers that visited the land were, were expected to be treated hospitably, hospitably. It was not the closeness that Jews and Gentiles would have in Jesus Christ, but God had used the people of Israel to shine a light. There are many examples of God-fearers sprinkled throughout the Old Testament who supported the mission of the people of Israel without submitting to circumcision and coming under the law. To apply the law of the clean and the unclean to eating with Gentiles was to fly in the face of God's central purpose for the law, a thing that would train his people for the coming of Christ. Peter had learned some of this through the ministry of Christ. He had been there when Christ declared all things clean. If you remember from the beginning of the sermon, Mark 7, where Christ declared all things clean. However, he had not completely overcome his prejudices. Peter would have to learn to accept all those fully whom Christ had cleaned. Ultimately, it didn't matter whether Peter would eventually eat pork or not. What mattered is that Peter was called to accept believing Gentiles as full believers in Christ. For, for God was not only teaching against the tradition of the Pharisees here, but God is also teaching that he had abolished the ceremonial law in the body of Christ. In the cross, God had cleansed all those who believe in him. Peter would see what this meant when he went downstairs after the dream and met the three men that Cornelius had sent to him. He was to bring the gospel to God-fearing Gentiles. And Peter would see this again when he saw the Spirit fall upon the God-fearing Gentiles. God was confirming by another little mini-Pentecost that these Gentiles were to be considered clean. They were to be incorporated into Christ's body without a cutting away of the flesh and without a demand that they subject themselves to the law that God had given on Mount Sinai. God had nailed the requirements of the law to the cross of Christ. And Peter recognizes this at the end of our chapter where he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Cornelius and his household have the same access to the throne room of God as those who go through all the rituals of the Old Testament. And this means that Peter is called to fully accept them into the visible church of Christ. Peter heard the warning of God. We haven't looked at that warning yet. Verse 15, And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This is better translated. What God has made clean, do not defile. We have to understand how powerful this statement is here. There's a reversal the Pharisees thought that the Gentiles defiled them. Now, eating unclean animals 
did defile them, at least before Christ. God is warning Peter that if he counts God-fearing Gentiles who have been brought near through the blood of Christ as unclean or defiled, he, Peter, will be the one who defiles them. He will become an agent of defilement. After all, they look to him as a Jew, one who has access to the oracles of God for teaching on how to live before God. If Peter tells them that they are not able to join the body of Christ until they have taken on the signs of circumcision and practice all the holiness legislation of Israel, their consciences will be defiled. And Peter will be the source of that defilement. Whereas the Pharisees thought of defilement coming from the outside, from Gentiles to Jews, God was teaching Peter that defilement went the other way. Peter, the ceremonially clean Jew, could easily be the source of defilement to the Gentiles if he did not bring them into the body of Christ through baptism once he had observed the Spirit at work in their lives. Out of Christ, God has formed a new body. God has made peace in his flesh, so that Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, are all equally holy before God. The warning that we should not defile those whom God has cleansed should continue to figure into our understanding of the church. On the one hand, we can defile ourselves by allowing those who commit defiling works in our midst. That's the uncleanness that comes from within, which our Lord warns about in the book of Mark. We can also spread uncleanness, if, but we can also spread uncleanness if we do not accept those who demonstrate a life lived in the Spirit of God. In the history of the church, we see this sin most clearly in the Roman Catholics when they took the cup of the new covenant from the layman out of fear that he would defile it. The question for us is, how do I defile those who have the Holy Spirit of God in my actions and thoughts? We need to be careful to observe the boundaries that God has established, guarding against defilement from within, and at the same time careful lest we defile the conscience of another Christian. God is forming one new body in Christ, and we should be careful about boundaries that are looser or more strict than the ones that God provides. Do not defile what God has made clean. After the sin of trying to merit our own righteousness, this sin, of, this sin of defiling others comes as a close second. And often the sin of meriting our own righteousness and creating improper boundaries within the church of God are closely connected. That's because we count the fact that we keep these boundaries as our own righteousness rather than finding it in Jesus Christ. Now this question of boundaries is also a place where it's easy to point fingers. 
We must learn to have the patience that God exemplifies. Notice how patient God is with Peter here. God gives Peter time to grow out of his childish ways. Various churches today have erected false boundaries which have gained the aura of tradition. And we need to be patient as we seek to encourage one another to leave behind falsely including someone or falsely excluding someone. God's patient with Peter. He shows him the vision three times. Through Jesus Christ, he has already taught Peter how to live in the new community he is creating for quite some time. Since Pentecost, he has given some time for the church to grow. And we should have the same patience. By the time Paul comes around and condemns Peter for refraining from eating with Gentiles, the events of Acts 10 were well in the past. Peter should have known better. The Judaizers in Galatia that Paul's writes that Paul's writes to in the book of Galatians, they should have known better. They had the clear revelation of God. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. God is bringing men, women, children, English, Dutch, Arabs, Indians, Chinese, Africans, businessmen, day laborers, and prime ministers into his kingdom. His kingdom contains former prostitutes, homosexuals, murderers, fornicators, fraudulent men and women, substance abusers, racists, and all other types of sinners who have been washed and cleansed in the blood of Christ. Our call is do not defile what God has cleansed. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together from Psalm 117.